in three, two, one. Aloha. You are listening to the Dangerous Love Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Ford. I'm here today with a good friend, an amazing facilitator, Joe Schaefer. Welcome aboard, Joe. Hello. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate being here. Joe, we met about a year ago at the Arbinger Summit, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Very famous Arbinger facilitator, has one of the greatest talks <laughs> ever for a Arbinger YouTube video, Why I Hate Arbinger, which is not what you think it is, which is why Arbinger is so hard to sometimes live when we find out this information. And you just did a webinar with Arbinger about fear. And it's a central theme to the book of Dangerous Love. And, and I, I want to talk about, about that more today, but really want to start by talking about you and, and how we got to this, to this journey and how you got talking about and doing workshops around, around fear. And so we're going to start pretty basically in two minutes. Who is Joe? And then I'm going to ask you some why questions. Who are you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think I'm still, I'm still asking that question. I don't have a lot of definitive answers. Um, uh, I can tell you in the last year, I've been mostly rediscovering some of these hidden aspects of myself and things that I think were part of my core identity as a child. And, and now I'm kind of full circle. I'll, I'll tell you just, I'm using up my one minute now, <laughs> but um, I was in a, a management training workshop once and, uh, and everybody was given these pipe cleaners and they were told to, to arrange the pipe cleaner according to their path, essentially. So, so show us and describe your, path to, to being here in this workshop now. And, and I'll tell you, there wasn't one person in that workshop that had a straight pipe cleaner. <laughs> and, um, and I, and I think mine right now, if you would ask me to do the activity, kind of looks like a swirl, <laughs> like, like it looks like one big circle. And I'm now circling back to who I think I, I may have been, um, at, at the beginning. And I guess that person is, um, a very curious person a um a person striving to be loving and uh i know at the core of who i am is very authentic and striving to be courageous and uh and then there's a bunch of things as a result of those values that i i try to live that hopefully enable me to to behave certain ways and have certain skill sets and all that but um but it's allowed me to do a lot of speaking and training. And my curiosity has led to a natural love of learning that has somehow enabled me to do a lot of teaching. I think most of the time we want to learn from learners and uh, that's mostly what I do. Yeah, that's actually a really good answer. And I like the pipe cleaner thing. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you through a little exercise 
this Joe's not prepared for this. Like this, like just came to me, but this is what we agreed on in this pod that we're just going to kind of let this flow how it goes. And so as you were talking, I started thinking about this Robert Quinn, uh, who was the, the, the Dean of, yeah, of Michigan's Michigan. business school writes a number of books. One that I really like is called change the world, but there's a number of good ones, deep change. He describes this exercise that I've always found to be like fascinating. And I'm, I'm going to put you through it right now. He said that he was at a workshop. He didn't even come up with this, but he, he was at a workshop one time when the facilitator asked him this question, think about all the good things that have happened in your life and all of the hard things that have happened in your life. And how do those two things, when you hold them together, uniquely qualify you for a particular life mission? right? Uh, a vocation, if you will. And it, the context was, we often think about our qualifications being the good things that have happened in our life, you know, uh, the things that we've earned or, you know, our education or our work experience or whatever. And, and that's certainly true. But it's often the case sometimes that the hard things that have happened in our life are equally qualifying us to be particularly helpful to, to people. They, they also help us find ourselves and are part of our journey and our story. And that, and instead of running and hiding from those things, we like hold those two things, you know, together. And so I want you to think about that. And then I'm going to ask you like, what are the good things in your life and the hard things in your life? And by the way, if you're listening at home, you can play along with this afterwards as well, because everybody actually has this story that have created for you some sort of unique vocation or message that's uniquely Joe? Uh, let's see. Let's, let's try and pick, I'll pick maybe, you know, a, a hard and an amazing from maybe youth and then, uh, and then maybe adulthood, okay. I guess that's uh, cool. Trying. Um, I, uh, I, I grew up in a pretty tumultuous home and that environment of chaos really, uh, really shaped and formed who I am. And I think uh, in, in the painful side of that, it made me really yearn for love and try to hustle for love and try and achieve my way to love and acceptance. Um, and, and <laughs> I was also gifted at a, at a young age. Um, I was gifted at a young age and, and that, that drive, uh, allowed me to develop a lot of skills and have a very strong drive and, and so it, it, I guess it was both. I, I was very blessed to have several like amazing teachers and community members and, and different people who along the way I can just see were planted in my life to just tell me, keep going, keep going, keep mm -hmm. going, keep going. You got this. And, uh, and the, you know, just beautiful, um, markers along, along my path. And, so I would say those are, are two things from from growing up, you know, some some a lot of chaos and and uh, some a lot of challenges and then also um, a lot of beautiful people to help me through those. Can things. I dig a little more on um, what 
what tumultuous and chaos meant to you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, my, my parents got divorced when I was like maybe one. And then, uh, my mom went through another divorce when I was a little bit older than that. There was, um, (laughs) there's a lot of anger in our home, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, violence, unfortunately. And, um, I saw, you know, I, I met the police, (laughs) um, but not the way you want to, uh, really. And, um, and I don't, you know, I, I kind of got familiar with a, a different side of life than, than I, I don't know, than maybe I would have wanted. Um, I always watched like those shows like Leave it to Beaver and, uh, and just like really wanted that life. Like I, I remember envying kids that had homemade lunches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was always like, oh, that'd be really cool. Um, and I'm sure those kids like envied people who had hot lunches. That's what they were called. <laughs> um, and uh, so, I, you know, I uh, that was a that was a good part of the the chaos was just um, a lot of uh, challenges in the home and uh, and in our particular community as well. And uh, there's there's a lot of that around me. In fact, I didn't I didn't really see too much in terms of stability. So that's a that's a challenge but also an opportunity to start figuring out how to create that for yourself and my way of learning to create that for myself was uh through achievement so that that was how i kind of got my sense of how to find my footing so to speak was a lot of social approval and uh and and accolades so yeah if i can't find that stability that sort of unconditional love, all of those things that I'm craving at home, then I take it externally. The challenge with the external word world is that it's not unconditional, right? Like I have to like achieve it. Yeah. I have to like earn yes. it. But also with that comes yes. the fear that at any moment that that can kind of be taken away if I'm not achieving or earning, yes. which, which can create a lot of pressure. Yes. Yes. I lived a very high pressure life. And in fact, um, I, and it's, now I'm just, I just understand that pattern in myself. In fact, the other day I went hiking with a friend and it was in a different part of town than I had been in. And, uh, and as we were finishing, I was like, man, there are probably so many hikes in this area. I've never, never seen. And she was like, yeah, I, I'm sure. And I was like, you know what? We should mark out every single one in this area. And then every week we'll try and hit one. And she just looked at me and she was like, did you just try and achieve hiking? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I sure did. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, like my brain just immediately turns things into like, here's a way I can earn something and, and do you know something I can prove my yeah, worth. Yeah. Our worth and love, all that stuff has to be earned. Right. Because it wasn't, it wasn't gifted to us at home the way that some people get. And, and, you know, just frankly, some people don't. And uh, if it's not there, we're going to go find it somewhere else. So I, I think that's really cool how you can actually tie those two experiences together um, and, and see how it both benefited you in certain ways because of the drive and everything else, but also searching for that externally can often be a, a, a very difficult, difficult challenge. You know, the the other one that really comes to mind was later, um, and this is, a, it's, it's funny, this is such a huge part of who I am and something that I didn't 
I just, you know, I didn't speak about really readily, especially in public, um, given being a speaker for a long time, but it's actually how my career as a speaker got started. I, when I was 19, I had a baby and chose to place her for adoption and we have a open adoption. So I still see her pretty regularly where we are in close contact and things, but, um, that was by far one of the most painful experiences I've ever been through in my life. And, and after that experience, uh, the adoption agency that I chose to go through asked me to speak to other pregnant teenage girls. And then eventually that turned into speaking to families and, and potential adoptive parents. And then it turned into speaking about adoption rights. And, and so it just kind of kept growing and things. And so what I, I kind of learned um, that also through this really painful experience that part of my processing and therapy um, could also be really beneficial to other people around me. And that is, is, was the foundation of, of the career that I've been blessed to have. I actually, that, that's such a cool story. Cause I actually think that's what Quinn was getting at, right? I, I take the hard things in my life and I, I try to understand how I can use those to create vocation. And so it actually starts as a speaking career for you. It's actually really fascinating because I want to get this to your adult life because you've done Covey work and you've done Crucial Conversations and then you've, you've been with Arbinger for the last couple of years. You say, I don't talk about that as a speaker, even though that's how you started as a speaker. So what is it about that transition to that professional speaker? And I recognize that a lot of times you're working with corporations or whatever, and maybe they're not here to hear the facilitator's life story. But also at the same time, in many of the greatest facilitations, it is because people connect with a facilitator. And Arbinger is especially potent at asking us at times to tell hard stories about ourselves and things like that that are actually inviting for people to be able to adopt the concepts themselves. And and so I'm just like really curious how that transition then went and you still owe me a good and hard thing from your adulthood. <laughs> okay, I like that you're not letting me off the hook. Um, that seems very Chad. Um, you know, it, it's, it took me what, 12, 13 years to be able to speak about it. Uh, and I would, I would kind of gloss over it really quickly. Like if somebody asked, how'd you get into this? I would be like, it's a weird story. (laughs) You know, I mean, I would just try and, I don't know, how'd you get here? You know, like it was just always this like way to play the game, I guess. And, um, and I only really started speaking about because I, I finally realized I had something to offer in that story and that, um, it, but it also required me to process the pain. Uh, and I hadn't, I'd been running from it for years, years and years. And I mean, you know, since, since the occurrence really. And so once I finally got to a place where I could just sit with the pain and, and just be there with it and befriend it in a way, um, then I suddenly realized that there was, there was value in this and, um, and that there was a lot of people who maybe they hadn't experienced placing a child for adoption, but they had experienced pain. They'd experienced loss. They'd experienced heartbreak. They'd experienced something that made us deeply human. And that was, that was what I became more interested in. So, um, so I, I finally started just, um, owning it and, and there was, there's a real power in that that allows me also a little bit of protection because um, because it's such a vulnerable place for me. And um, 
And so it wasn't until I could come to peace about my choice and my pain that I had the strength to be able to speak about it. I think up until that point, it, it would have been, I mean, somebody could have said something judgmental and I would have just broke. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I could have actually been helpful to somebody at that point. So that was, that was part of the transition of, of being able to hold that in the space for me. Um, I'm trying to think, of, uh, and then in terms of adulthood, whew, um, man, that's gotta be, uh, I, I mean, you know, here's, the, you know, the cycle is almost uh, exactly the same. I placed for adoption and I was, you know, I was in broke ass in this tiny little studio place downtown and uh, was trying to figure out how to rebuild my life. And as a 19 year old, that was run away, run, run from your problems, move across the country, start achieving life again and do what you know how to do to, to, to succeed, quote unquote. And, uh, and then I found myself, you know, what, I don't know, uh, 13 years later or whatever it was, um, in almost the exact same boat <laughs> where at that point my marriage had ended, my job had ended, um, and I and everything is kind of falling apart. And I moved into a studio apartment downtown and and it all was lost. And it was like, hey, I have been exactly in this place again. But instead of having the recognition like, oh, this is um, this is an opportunity for me not to create this exact same cycle again. Um, I, you know, I tried. I tried. I really did. I tried to um, do all the achievement stuff that I had always done and I had just enough awareness and the universe or force or God or whatever you believe in or don't believe in is fine, but whatever it is, uh, or she is, <laughs> um, it, it kind of, um, pushed on me and, and just, I wasn't allowed to, to create my own, my own, uh, unhelpful cycle. And that ended up strangely being such a blessing and, and it allowed me to stop and pause and be intentional. And then I am somehow here now. And, and that's it, uh, that same, <laughs> that same exact painful experience is what, it, what it, today kind of resonates with people that they're like, yeah, man, I've, I've had something similar or, um, I know that scary spot or, or what does it look like to live intentionally or, how do you recreate that? And, and that's, that's so much of that for me is, is Arbinger. I, and it's been this uh, shift of, of trying to at least shift my way of being. And, and then that's become the new way for me to be able to be helpful. So let's talk about fear. You've talked about befriending fear. I think just in the brief sketch of your life that you've already given, it should be clear any, but to anybody that's listening, that that fear has been part of that, and, and and a major part of that, and I'm I'm curious about the phrase that you use, befriending fear. Um, it's a little different than the the phrase that that that, that I use, but I'm curious about it. So talk to me about befriending fear and and how that's become part of you, and then. I think that's been also in part how you've been using Arbinger. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I um, when I started to realize how much fear dictated my life, how I had created all these cycles, how um, how how many of my choices and decisions were based on self-protection or self-image or um, or an Arbinger language inward mindset, and just I mean, it's just this. Um, it is very difficult. <laughs> uh, it's uh, soul wrenching in a way to just start really taking account of your life and and the impact of my choices when I come from this place of of fear. And and I want to be careful about how I I talk about it because I you know the way I described it in the Q and A is is kind of how I think about it. Like fear can be like a wetsuit where it's meant to uh, protect us and be helpful to us as we're operating in these waters and things, or it can be like a suit of armor and it can be so um, debilitating that it really doesn't allow us to live a full life and, and really be truly helpful to others. And, and so I, I think of fear as this thing now that I, I try and I try and recognize it most of the time. Now it sounds now the more and more I understand it, it sounds like this funny friend this, um, it, it's sometimes hilarious to me, like just how, how funny my fear can be. It's like, uh, oh, you're going to, you're going to sound this way, or they're going to think this, or, you know, and, and so I'm like, oh man, you are so paranoid. That's hilarious. You know, like, um, and maybe, maybe I will, and I appreciate you. And so I think, I think I just have to come to this place where I almost love and appreciate and, and pay attention to fear because it is there to protect me. And, and I've got to say thank you for that. Like, I want to stay alive. I'd like to. I, appreci you know, I appreciate life. And, and I'd like to make a contribution in the world. And, and so I've got to say thank you for it. And on the other hand, I've got to allow my other parts of me, like wisdom and love, to come in. Those are also my friends. And they've got to also come in and say, thanks, Fear, for your contribution. And here's what we've got to offer. And... And I, and I think, you know, all of those different entities or, or parts of myself are, are real blessings if I can see them that way. And so I, I do try and befriend it because it's probably not going away. It's funny to me when people talk about being fearless and I think, well, uh, okay, good luck. <laughs> good luck with that. Like if you can get to a place where you have zero fear, like that's absolutely incredible. Like I, I, that, that's uh, my achievement brain is like yeah like let's achieve fearlessness that's awesome um and light can you achieve a enlightenment because i would love that that would be great but but otherwise i just um if this is is likely a, a part of me it's likely a part of being human then i can just grow to love and appreciate it i really love that concept of being in conversation with fear but not allowing fear to dominate the conversation, right? It's a voice. Yeah. And as, yeah. as you point out, and I think this is really true, and, and you know, I get a lot of questions when we've talked about dangerous love. Well, dangerous love seems like stupid love a lot of times, right? Like, <laughs> and, and, and there can be this misunderstanding because, yeah, of course, what I'm not advocating is for you to put yourself in real physical danger or even emotional yeah. you know, danger at times. Yeah. But often our fear yeah. voice gets so loud in our head that everything is dangerous. And, yes. and the advice that fear can give us is actually the opposite 
of what it is that we actually need to do. And, you know, you connect this to Arbinger because, you know, inward mindset is all about self-preservation. You know, ultimately yeah. that is the language Absolutely. of inward mindset is how does everything affect me and eliminating anything mm -hmm. that affects me negatively, uh, you know, using uh, as a vehicle anything that affects me positively so that I can get more of it. Mm -hmm. And it keeps us from collaboration it keeps us stuck in conflict styles that are unproductive and what, what have you. And, you know, dangerous loves about us preservation, mm -hmm. right? But us preservation well, requires some sense of self and fear. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and it keeps us from love. It keeps us from yeah. connection. So I, it is, uh, yeah, it is one of the prime. I, and look, I don't think um, somebody asked me is our our fear brain or or is fear and inward mindset synonymous? And and I would say no, no. You know, I, I I don't think that they have to be. I just think at least for me, it is at the root of my yeah. inwardness. Now, other people, it could be something entirely different. That's great. Um, it, but for me, yeah, when I'm in this place of self preservation, self protection. Um, uh, when I go into a place where I, these images of myself are being threatened, the, the root of that for me is I, I'm feeling or experiencing or seeing things through this mm. fear lens. I think that's, that's really helpful because, uh, I, you know, I describe in the book, like two approaches to conflict I call the smog and cocoon view. And, and the smog mm. is, is the dominant fear one that we normally think about. It's all around us. I breathe it in. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm helpless. I'm weak. I'm not actually accountable. It's yeah. all external. Everything's happening to me. But the cocoon yeah. view, and I, I think this is where often there's sometimes a fundamental misunderstanding about Arbinger. A lot of people think Arbinger, and I mean, you hear this all the time as a facilitator, and think that what you're saying is outward mindset means other people come first. Other people are always, yeah. I put them above me, right? That's just the maybe the yes. most fundamental misunderstanding that happens because our brains think often in that di dichotomous way, right? It's either about me or it's about them. Right. And, yes. and neither are sustainable in relationships. N neither end yeah. of that continuum exactly. is. And so there's this Arbinger diagram that I love when you're talking about the carry box is better than, worse than, or whatever, that starts with two people that are on level ground. Right. Yeah. Equanimity. Yeah. Their needs matter. Dreams, wants, and desires. They matter to me as much as my own is the way that I say it. Yes. But mine, notice in that mine matter. Right. Yes. And that's actually where we get to real collaboration. And so, but the cocoon view is, is scary because if you think about a caterpillar, like they go into this chrysalis, it gets tight, it gets dark. It's, there's a free to, lack of freedom of movement. I think caterpillars actually like liquefy, like they don't even become, <laughs> right? Yeah. They become actually something completely yeah. different. And I would imagine, I've never been a caterpillar before, but I would imagine that that part is actually quite scary, right? Yeah. But, but yeah. it's scary with hope, right? It's scary that also love and wisdom and other parts are coming to our aid and are going to help in this process. And, and so conflict is something that maybe should be respected and, and fear should also sort of be respected, but when it's in balance with those other things and, uh, and oftentimes in conflict, we, we really let fear take over and, and silence yeah. those yeah. other voices. As soon as the, uh, 
in crucial conversations, we used to say, you know, safety is like air. You don't really notice it when it's around, but as soon as it's gone, that's the only thing you notice. And and I, I think it's very much that way. Once we get into fear brain, it is, it is so hard to see yeah. clearly. Yeah. There's actually uh, these brain scans that I use that show a brain on fear and a brain that's like meditating and the neural pathways that are lighting up in the brain. And it's it's stark, it's incredible. Like people are just like, what? When they see the two, and I, I actually, it's some of it's like literally like biological that starts to happen. But again, like many things, we can train our brains to, to think and act in different ways. So I wanna talk about your fears for a minute because you went on something called Fear Year, which I followed all year, which was I think some intentionality around not letting fear dominate the conversations in your life. And so could you share a little bit about what motivated you to do that? And maybe a couple of stories or examples of like the types of fears that you ended up confronting in your own life? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so fear year ends in June and, uh, people are always like, you know, why wasn't it January? I just started it when I thought of it. Um, if my brain, that's part of it too, is like, it would be so easy for me to procrastinate. Like, oh, this was really should be in, but that was part of it. It was like, nope, do it when you have the sense, you know? And, and, uh, and so really what happened was I was, um, I, I was kind of in this place and I, I, you know, I, I was still in this transition from, you know, this kind of former life and, and having a, a steady W-2 kind of job and having, you know, a marriage and and all these kind of staples of life, I guess, and owning a home and all the stuff. And I was in this transition and um, and, and still am, but I, I just started to realize, like, I, I am really run by fear. And if I'm going to if I'm going to confront this, I got to start first thinking about what are some of the things I'm afraid of. So I just wrote down right, right then, just the first things that came to the top of my head, stuff I was afraid of. And I think they're like what most people think of. If you ask most people, like, what are you afraid of? They're going to, they're going to say almost probably the what was on asked, your list, right? Like I was afraid of, okay. So I was afraid of, uh, these are things I can remember anyway. Um, spiders, um, singlehood, uh, Detroit. Wow. Um, uh, the, you know, just like anything that was kind of just like maybe something I'd seen in the media or just, uh, snakes, um, messing up my kids. I mean, some of them were a little more deep, but you know, a lot of this stuff was like, um, j just very, I guess, typical thing, you know, I was prison, uh, messing up my taxes, like stuff like that. And so I, you know, I just jotted it down and because I'm an achiever, um, if I make, if I write things down, I'm going to number them because now it's a to-do list and I can achieve stuff. And it's just like, this is how my brain works. And so, um, so I wrote down these things and it, and it ended up, I had written down 12 things, just bing, bang, boom, right off the top of my head. And so I converted the number 12 into a year and I just immediately had this thought, like, wouldn't that be a terrible idea to, to try and look at each one of these once a month for a year? And I just said, I just knew like, oh, like, and I'll, I'll actually share with you the real experience. I didn't say this on the webinar, but um, I was doing this out on my porch. And right then I looked up from my list after having numbered it and having this thought about it being a year. And there was a single doe, maybe 
three foot, uh, three feet away from me. And it was just one of these like, like almost breathtaking moments. Like I hadn't even seen her, you know, I was so wrapped up in this. And for me, that was like this sign of like, this is your journey now. Like, this is what you're doing now. And I, as I watched this single deer, female deer, just kind of walk off and, and it was, and that was actually what started it. And so, so I told my two best girlfriends, like, I'm going to do this thing. And they were like, wow, you should document it. I want to follow along, which immediately struck fear in me. I mean, that was a big part of the reason I started documenting it was to, I could already sense how scary it was to talk about fear and admit the things that I was afraid of. I was just as afraid of people's judgment as I was of the stuff I was afraid of. And so the original plan was like month one, I went to, to kick it all off. We went camping and I did cliff jumping for the first time, which was terrifying. <laughs> I remember I stood on the top of that cliff for like, and it wasn't even that big of a cliff, like, but for me in my mind, it was, you know, I was like, I'm jumping off the Empire State Building. <laughs> But, um, but you know, it's just funny how that stuff shifts your brain. But I was, uh, I was staying on this cliff and, and that's how we decided to kick it off, so to speak. And then, um, but then the more aware of fear I became, the more I realized, you know, it wasn't these big things like, I don't know, snakes and, and prison. It was the things that were every day. It was, it was like right after that, um, I was on this leadership panel and uh, this might be controversial to say, so hopefully I'm not uh, offending people here, but I was on this leadership panel and uh, one of the questions they asked was, how does fear play a role in leadership? And, and everybody kind of gave their responses and I was like, like it is at the root of leadership for me. And I, and I kind of, but I was afraid to even give my real answer, to be honest. You're afraid of the uh, fear question, and, and I like that. I was. yeah. And afterwards, I felt this, I felt this sense that I should express that because there were not much, there wasn't much diversity on this panel. I, I felt like they were really missing an opportunity to hear a broad spectrum on the fear question, because it's going to be very different depending on our life, depending on our life, you know, how life has informed us and, and the human costume that we come in and, and the and the environment that we are raised in all those things are going to drastically impact the way that we see and so i i felt that that not having a diversity of voices really limited the scope of that question and, and answer and just saying that was terrifying mm -hmm. for me like because I, I was like well you know of course the female on the panel is going to say that you know and like i mean i just and i started in that moment I realized fear was so much bigger than I had given it credit for <laughs> because how many times did I not speak up? How many times did I not speak my truth? How many times did I change to be approved and to be, you know, I, I and I, it just, then, then that snowballed. So over the last year I've done, you know, I've done some of the things. In fact, those are always the stuff that people enjoy the most is like when I go do a thing, you know, like playing the um, guitar in front of on a YouTube video and singing. I saw yeah, that one. exactly. Like I, I was, I was terrified to sing in public. And so I, I sang at a karaoke bar, which was, which was oh, so hard. <laughs> and then, um, and you know, and then I did a YouTube video with me playing guitar and singing and, 
Um, I've, uh, you know, I've gone to concerts by myself. That that was a little bit like, oh, I feel kind of like a loser doing a social event by myself. And what if what if people think, you know, and all stuff that I get up in my head about. Um, I I realize I don't. I try to not draw very much attention to myself, and so I dress pretty plain. And I, um, you know, especially in public, I, I speak pretty quietly and things like that. And um, and I, and so I wore bright red lipstick to target which i i know sounds ridiculous but for me that was it was a very scary thing like i i felt ridiculous and i and i was just struggling the whole time and that would be scary for me too joe to wear bright red lipstick to target that that would be scary for me as well i can empathize with that so i mean so there was there was a lot of those moments of of being you know, uh, afraid of like trying rock climbing because it's at this public space and I don't like trying things in public and I don't want to be bad at something in front of other people. And I mean, it, it has just been <laughs> the the most dreadful piece about all of it is the moment I realize I'm afraid of something. It's now because of this stupid project, like, all right, that's what we're doing now. Like, here we go. So, so let me ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Cause I, I get all that. I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're doing and we, you know, it's really interesting if there's, it, there's many, many things I've learned from Arbinger, but one of the big ones is that, um, there's something deeper than behavior. Right. And so I can, I can do scary things. Changing my mindset towards scary things is, is a different ball game. And so I'm curious because we, we started this podcast a bit with this this idea of this achievement as a way of sort of feeling, you know, feeling this. How have how has that gone confronting what I think? I, I mean, I don't want to trans put words in your mouth, but it seems like the opposite of the fear would be a fear of failure, right? A, a fear of not being loved because I didn't achieve. How is how is all of that stuff that you've done? How's it helped you with that that deeper one? You know, I think, um, it, you know, I, I I said something that um, that ultimately got edited out. So I'm a little, I, I guess, I get a little concerned that maybe uh, in, in the webinar that maybe I'm saying something that is patently false. So let me say this is Joe saying this, and I this is my own personal claim, and it could be totally BS. But um, I think the the opposite of self-deception or at least somewhere on the other end of that spectrum is self-trust and one of the the challenges of being so ingrained in fear and looking at it and studying it and and all these things is getting to a place where on the other end of that spectrum i actually have love Mm. and appreciation and connection and and i will say one of the the biggest benefits and I don't quite know how to um, elucidate it is is this development of trust in myself mm-hmm. that I'm a person that doesn't shy away from fear and I thus far have survived everything and and I and I'm okay and I start to trust that I'm a person that can handle things and I'm a person that can believe in myself and I'm a person that can um, 
that I'm a person that can be brave. And all of those things are just along with all the images I had that were, um, you know, uh, that at the root of my self-deception, there's also these parts of me that I've now newly uncovered as a result of, of looking at those things. So um, that's harder to, to show or, and I don't know that, I don't know that that will, I don't know. Those are, those are seeds that I feel like I'm just now mm. planting and, and really, I don't know what the, the ultimate benefit or what I quote unquote could achieve from those things. <laughs> um, maybe nothing. And that's totally fine with me. Cause I, I think it's, it's just a level of peace that I have never felt in my life. There's a, there's just a kind of a more self-assuredness than I've really ever had before. And it's an assuredness that I, I won't, I won't let go of me again. I won't, I won't lose this person again. What advice would you give to someone who's listening to this podcast that also has had fear be a dominant voice in their life about what's that next step? I mean, I get asked that question a lot. Okay. I get it. I'm afraid of conflict. I'm afraid of the people that I'm in conflict with. You know, one of the things that's always been helpful to me, and again, it's a, a, you know, a a very arbiter concept rooted in part in the Martin Buber conception of I, it, I, thou, is that, that I've always been one because I, I also have had fear dominate a lot of my life that wants to disconnect when I'm scared. And that has always been something that I think has been a big part of my life and just learning that I can't. That, you know, when Buber said there's an, an hyphen between thou and it, right? There's no just I. There's always I in relationship. And that as much as I want to run and disconnect and find safety there, there is, there is no safety there. I'm not actually disconnected. I'm just bonded bonded in a different way, in a way that's unhealthy and in a way. uh, And so, you know, for, for me, part of it has just been always trying to hold, hold that truth that I, uh, the I in me is always in relationship. I can't run and hide from that. And so there is no I without you. And, and as much as I want there to be at times, as much as that would be easier for me or an easier life somehow to conceptualize, and if I can let go of that or open my hand up to it, there's space there that, that to operate in and, and space that the, the, the most dangerous thing is to stick my head in the hole and pretend that, that, that the relationship isn't there, that there is, there is no hyphen there. And, and actually, while it takes courage to stick your head out of the hole and look at it, it's also, frankly, the safer thing uh, to do. And, and so that's, for me, how I've been able, in my own sort of unique way, to sort of conceptualize this, that, that us preservation is self-preservation because there is no self without us, right, at the end of the day for me. And if I can't, if I can't, see that, then, you know, that's where the root of much of my fear is. So I'm just curious from your end, like, 
What advice would you give people? Because I like this idea of also diversity and diversity of experiences and that not everybody uh, experiences fear the same way or not everybody has the same life challenges or experiences that have, have made them see the world the way they have. From your perspective, people come to you and tell you, fear has been dominating my life. I want to befriend it. I, I want to get those other voices, love and wisdom into the conversation. What's the next step for them? Yeah, I... I, that's such a, I love just, you're just wise. It just is. We're always in relationship. It's just, it is. Uh, I love that. Thank you. Um, well, I guess the first thing I would ask them, who's your best friend? And then I would ask, how did, how did you become friends with them? And then it's pretty, pretty similar process. Actually, the first part is becoming aware of who that person is and then getting really curious and interested in in them and then trying to do stuff together <laughs> and and it's kind of that i mean in the most simple of terms it's it's look we can get lost in an infinite pit of trying to understand ourselves and staring at our navel and trying to learn like where did this fear come from what experience did i have as a three-year-old that would have informed that you know and, and not that those things aren't valuable they truly are and and in a lot of ways learning about myself and has created a lot of compassion and understanding and and then i i feel like as i can have that grace with myself it compels me to have that for other mm -hmm. people and um and so i so i do think that there is absolutely value in becoming self-aware um and in fact in the arbinger workshop we spend a, a good portion of our time trying to gain that self-awareness self right Yes, but ultimately, what ends up happening is a lot of people get to this place where they're like, "All right, I can find, I see, I'm in the box, I get it." Like, or you know, I I can I can see this, and what do I do about it? Or I can see fear in my d dominating my life now. What? And what they're what they're saying is, <laughs> what I haven't felt is the impact of that, because soon as we come alive to the impact, boy, is it motivating, right? Soon. And one of the cool th things about self-deception or about fear is that we we really do become blind to the impact because when I'm when I hold back when I keep my voice quiet in that leadership panel for example I calculate like mm, I'm not hurting anybody right I I make a calculation at that moment that me staying quiet or me holding back or whatever it is doesn't really have an impact and. I have woefully miscalculated. I have, I have, I have, and that's the nicest way to put it. I have totally deceived myself to believe that I, when I don't follow that sense or when I, when I, um, when I don't come from that place of love, that that doesn't have an impact. And it's, it's the, the next piece is becoming alive to what's the impact of me having and operating from fear, both on myself, because again, the I thou and the I it, what that means is that when I objectify somebody else, I'm also objectifying myself. And so what I'm, when I'm coming from fear brain, I can't see them clearly and I can't see myself clearly. And so, so part of this awakening process is, okay, it's great that we can recognize that fear is dominating our life. Let's now come alive to the impact of that, both to me and to other people. And then that is, man, that's yeah. a jolt. 
that just immediately jolts us into like, oh gosh, that is not, <laughs> that's not really what I want. And, and look, I think motivation has two ends of the stick, right? We can be motivated by love and we can be motivated by fear. This is the carrot and the stick, right? And I would love to be a person who's motivated by carrots. That would be great. Um, and so much of the time I'm motivated by that stick. And so, um, and after we've been in this work for a while, that's where we start to get those carrots. That's where we start to see these benefits. We can see, um, wow, I do have deeper relationships. I do have more authentic connection. I do have more self-trust. I do have more trust in others. I do have love more for myself and love for, you know, like we start to get the fruits of that eventually. But at the beginning, if you're just starting out, boy, come alive to the impact. That's, that's where, I, that's where, I, if you're already at a place where you can see it, the next is come alive to the impact. It's a beautiful answer. You know, when we do collusion exercises in Arbinger, one of those things that we do is the costs of collusion. And I've seen that turn more rooms than almost anything else, especially the people that are deeply ingrained in conflict. Like, what is this costing you? As opposed to what you're getting. What you're getting is justification. <laughs> what it's costing you in terms of relationships, health, sleep, and for organizations, money, sometimes millions, sometimes tens of millions of dollars, is it worth it? And I think I really appreciate the way that you framed it because – you know, in, in Arbinger language, if you've read Leadership in, or Anatomy of Peace or Outward Mindset, you know about better than and worse than and need to be seen as or I deserve. It's sometimes really clear to see the cost and like better than and I deserve. Like I'm being a jerk to other people, essentially, right? And 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 I think we sort of all understand how that plays out and sort of the impact that it comes. But I've heard so many people describe worse than or need to be seen as as like a victimless crime. Like it it impacts me, but it doesn't really impact others. And any time that I don't follow a sense of helpfulness towards someone, even it's because I tell myself I'm not good enough or my voice doesn't matter or that, that I can't be helpful or that I, I lack the skills or training or you know, whatever our justification is that, that tells us ultimately to ignore the sense, it, it, and it impacts not just us, it impacts relationship in, in, in deeply ways because we can't be fully present in that relationship and if we can't be alive and have the courage to follow our senses, it, it's, it has an impact, not just on us, but on others, uh, others as well. And, and so learning, I love that, learning to be both alive to our senses of helpfulness, even the ones that scare us, even the ones that put us way out of our comfort zone, and, and then recognizing the impact of what happens when I, when I don't honor those, those senses. Yeah, because it's... You know, it's, it's one thing when the sense is nice and it's like, hey, you know what you should do? You should just give that person a call and see how they're doing. Like, I love when yeah. I have that sense. More often now that I've been in this journey, the sense is like, you know what you should do? You should write a, you should write a children's book. And it's like, what? What sense is this? This is a weird, I don't, who, I'm not a person who does that, you know? Like, so, you know, it's, or whatever it is, you know, like I should share this comic that I just drew and it's like, that's a, that's a ridiculous sense. Yeah. I don't like that sense at all. You know? Like, so, or, or I speak up in a panel and, and tell them that yes, I really think exactly. there needs to be diversity in, in this workshop yes. like that, that doesn't come off a lot of times as a nice sense because it actually will make a lot of other people uncomfortable yes. perhaps in the room. 
but exactly. but it also could be when it comes from a sense of not the box, right? Where I'm better than you yes. and I'm putting you down, but it comes from a sense of actually trying to be helpful to everybody in the room. Yes. It's it's a it's a really powerful thing. And by the way, I know some people who even talk themselves out of the nice senses. Like, yeah, I oh, yeah. I had a sense oh, yeah. to like call you and check in on you, but I didn't want to bother you. And I mean, who am I anyway? And I'm not yes. really like your best friend. And I don't want you to feel like maybe oh, yeah. like I I think there's something wrong with. You. I mean, I've had even people talk themselves out of the nice kind senses because the, their worst than justifications are are are, are just so powerful. And so I think that's really helpful. And I hope that people who are listening to this podcast are, are helped by this. And I hope they check out uh, Joe's webinar. Uh, you can find that on, on YouTube. Uh, she also has some other great stuff out there as well. And, and maybe we'll even run across her facilitating an Arbiter workshop someday. Joe, really appreciate you coming on, being vulnerable talking about this. I think it's going to be one of those things that I hope you follow the sense here. And I think it's going to be super helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and really, um, kudos to you for doing this. Cause I, I now recognize and appreciate bravery at a new level. And I do think it takes, it takes that to be a person that, um, uh, produces something and puts your name on it and is out there trying to do something in the world and, and make a contribution. So I really, I really commend you for that. Thanks, Joe. Amazing. The book's Dangerous Love. It's coming out in a few weeks. You can pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your independent bookstore, wherever you want to get uh, a copy. I, I really hope it will help be helpful for you. Looking at that fear of conflict, fear of relationships uh, that you're in, and help give you space to to befriend that and let wisdom and, and love in your space. You can also join us in our Loving Dangerously community on Facebook, uh, where we have weekly li Facebook Lives. We answer questions. We try to walk people through challenges and problems as well. And you can join us there as well. You've been listening to the Dangerous Love Podcast. Aloha. Aloha.